I live in this alternate reality. It's my reality. You have your reality. And what my reality is, is, is quite different. And I think because I grew up a huge perfectionist and that didn't work out very well for me, for my emotions and well-being, uh, just it's so liberating to live in a reality where failure doesn't exist. Welcome to another episode of Live with Bitcoin, where we delve into the human side of Bitcoin by focusing on Bitcoiners' personal transformations. I'm your host, Vivian. Thanks for tuning in. If you like this content and want to support me, you can listen on the Fountain app, Earn Bitcoin, where listening to this show, with the option to stream me some stats on the Fountain app, too. I'll be looking forward to hear your feedback on the show, and we'll read out comments in future episodes. We appreciate your support on the mission of shining light on the human side of Bitcoin. Today, the guest who will be joining us is a great friend of mine. We met in 2023, last year at Bitcoin Conference Miami and instantly vibed. Um, let's welcome Martel Fox, founder of Valero 4 Talent, a recruitment agency for Bitcoin companies. Thanks for joining me, Martel. Thank you so much, Vivian. Yeah, it's nice to remember and reminisce on the night that we met. And of course, I would agree. It's an instant vibe between us. And yeah, thank you for having me on this podcast. I really appreciate how you're showing the human side of Bitcoin and it's really refreshing and have loved the episode so far. So very excited to hear some questions from you. Would you share a little bit about yourself? What's your background and um, where you are in life now kicking off 2024? Well, I'm from Northern California, grew up in a small mountain town and uh, played soccer all the while. I was very eager to leave town as soon as I could. And, you know, by the time I was 19, I was able to do that. So I ended up going to San Francisco for school, I played soccer there for a bit and was just trying to find my path, I would say. Uh, I was a very shy person. So at the time, I was taking some communication classes just for my general education degree. And it was giving me a lot of confidence. So I decided to pursue that path, uh, all of the direction of communications, uh, working all the while in events, uh, restaurants as a college student, trying to get out of my comfort zone. And eventually uh, graduated and uh, made my way to Barcelona, was still trying to figure out what I, I wanted to do. And I was a English teacher and a dance and soccer coach during that time. Uh, still doing events on the side, and then found my way to Santa Barbara after Barcelona. And I that was probably my first, I would say, big girl job. And I worked in luxury hospitality at a Ritz-Carlton, the largest luxury event space in California. So I was exposed to a lot of great opportunities, a new network. And in that experience, I loved the job. I loved my team. But one thing that frustrated me was the uh, lack of interest in optimizing or innovating. So at this time, I was you know, printing lots of pages to do my job. Uh, a lot of things were even hand run and delivered to these eight departments. And I thought this could easily be solved and you know, take five minutes with an iPad instead of spending an hour distributing all this uh, paper. Uh, and at that point, uh, some of my friends who had already been working in tech from San Francisco, when they'd hear about my you know, frustrations with my job, they'd really push me to start working in tech as, I, uh, as they read I had the mindset. So I later moved to Paris and I got a kind of a foot in the door job at a small uh, startup called Swapcard. And it was a catch-all role, so doing communications, human resources, office management. And at that point, uh, I discovered recruitment. And I absolutely fell in love with recruitment and feel like I really hit my stride in my career. I thought, this is what I should be doing. And so with that company, I uh, really got to grow with them as I grew the team. So started out as maybe 10 people and then uh, grew to 250 people with them. It was really awesome. Uh, we went from two nationalities to almost 50 nationalities by the time I left. And I hired and onboarded most of the people and got to coach the founders and leaders into this chief people officer role. So it was phenomenal. 
uh, I learned about Bitcoin during that time. And it was a really, uh, yeah, crucial moment in my life because I, I love to align everything. All of my beliefs need to be uh, matching where I'm working and my values aligned. So uh, I ended up going to El Salvador kind of early in my Bitcoin journey, or at least before I started working in the space. And yeah, just saw Bitcoin in action. I saw the proof. I saw a huge community of people uh, feeling really optimistic in a time that wasn't so happy around the world. Uh, it was during the pandemic. And I got to meet some people down there that were really you know, special and stood out to me. And that later inspired me to change my career and start working in the Bitcoin space. So I ended up working with Ibex. I joined as their chief people officer, got moved to their COO role, which was an awesome opportunity. Uh, at that role, at that job, I was able to place their CTO. And in that experience, I just realized the quality of candidates that were out there, out here in this industry. And it got me thinking about this problem to solve in the space and really building top talent for companies and just trying to make sure that I'm I'm accessing all of my best qualities and able to scale them to as many people as possible and to the Bitcoin mission. So I later started uh, Layer 4 Talent last year, and it's been going really well. I talk to Bitcoiners all day. I help build teams and... I really enjoy what I do. I've always, I'm always very interested in hearing people's story and perspective when they choose to move to a place by themselves and starting a new chapter. And this is how many of the Bitcoiners have lived their lives. So when you first moving, decided to move to Spain, like what was your rationale behind? Uh, totally, quite spontaneous. Um, and at that point, gosh, I, I graduated a bit young. I was like 20 or 21 when I graduated and my life was in shambles, as I would describe it at the time. I was a bit dramatic when I was younger. And I was really running away. I was escaping and was just, you know, going to try to figure things out on my own. And when I moved, I would say when I moved to Barcelona, when I moved to Santa Barbara, and when I moved to Paris, I didn't have a job each time. And I kind of had to really hustle because I didn't, I had... You know, the safety net from which like I would have had savings and made the move and then instantly have to hit the pavement and start working hard to find a job. I think that when you and that was me when I was younger, I don't know if I take the same risks now, uh, but I found that those risks really paid off and you have to be bold and you have to be brave and you have to put yourself in situations that aren't sustainable sometimes. So it forces you to get out there and try new things, get out of the comfort zone. Uh, so yeah, I would say it can be incredible to grow and evolve. Uh, I think all the transformations I've had have been attributed to moving my physical space. That way you can really get out of the box that you know yourself in. I mean, I grew up in the same town for, for 19 years and really stayed within this box of knowing myself as a very shy person and by leaving and going experiencing different lives in different places I was able to make different friendships and different opportunities came where I could get to know these other parts of myself and yeah that I would say that still today the mindset of don't put yourself in a box try to always have an open narrative don't uh, repeat narratives about yourself it's a major philosophy of mine. And you shared this in your conversation with Natalie Brunel that you used to be quite of a shy person and later on become someone who's comfortable talking to strangers and your work of nature these days involves in talking to people all the time and making connections. It was a rather intentional process combined with your life experience. So let's talk about this transformation. And you grew up in California in very close to nature. So what it was like growing up there and how did it contribute to your personality back then? It was really awesome growing up in nature. I think it was awesome until it wasn't. So childhood was a total blast. I mean, for doing things for fun around here would be like exploring the forest, you know, hopping the fence, getting lost, uh, exploring the river and doing really fun, more wild stuff. I think a lot of my friends that grew up around here, we have 
a lot of creativity from that kind of childhood. Uh, and then, you know, when you get to high school, you start thinking about opportunities that are out there. Uh, I started working at 16 and I started feeling a bit more ambitious after. So that kind of plays a factor. You start to feel a little stifled in a small town now. And ironically, I live here now, so I'm back home. And I really appreciate it now, but it took me leaving to really appreciate it. So, uh, yeah, then I I ventured out on my own, and it was really awesome. Uh, I would say, yeah, I was very shy, and then I didn't want to be shy, though. Like, I wanted to speak to people. I wasn't shy with my close friends, but even, like, in high school, if I had to order a, a granola bar at the snack bar, I would ask and try to get one of my friends to do it for me because I really didn't like interacting with strangers. Yeah. So, so in my head was always overthinking everything. And then through some like simple classes that could be very, you know, basic for most anyone uh, in community college, I, I felt like it was just giving me these skills. And I, I made a resolution back then that you know, I never want anyone to feel how I felt kind of isolated or you know, stuck on, on the wall. And I would make a resolution to never, never have anyone near me feel the way that I felt before, which is just feeling like an outsider sometimes. So uh, that ended up really paying off as I grew and matured in my career and found myself in the people management role in my first startup that I worked for, it really helped to have that philosophy to make sure everyone was included and listened to and, and valued all the time. What's your experience with community college? So I, after graduating high school, I was uh, 17 when I graduated high school. So I went to community college. I uh, wasn't quite ready to move out of the house yet. Uh, I felt ready, but my parents didn't feel <laughs> So I went to community college, and I really wasn't excited to go. I, I was thinking, like, you know, I wanted to go to all these great schools, and I had applied, and I just was ready to leave my small town. And, uh, yeah, that, that didn't become a reality. I went to the community college, and I played soccer there, and I ended up meeting some of my best friends that I'm still very close with. And we won championships. Uh, I did really well and got a scholarship to San Francisco State later. So it ended up being an awesome, awesome thing. Uh, also, it was really like a great cost savings for my my finances. And that, I think, really set me up to have a, a I don't know, better career opportunities or in a way have a better set up for success without the burden of a lot of debt uh, compared to a lot of other Americans in my age group. In a way, it's all about perspectives because you are someone who went to community college and started off being English teachers randomly here and there admin and stumbled upon your passion, yeah. Bitcoin, and really developed and stick your head out for yourself from there. And it's, I can definitely tell from your story that it's a process. It's not a straight line. It involves yeah. a lot of detours, a lot of unexpected to happen, acting fast on the spot and be strategic and smart about it. And with a deep sense of self-awareness, that's um, how I see this whole story try yeah. uh, kind of develop and sometimes we seek externally for for reasons why we're not doing something so oh I didn't go to a good enough college or yeah. I didn't um, I never move out of town or I moved out of town from your very story it seems like none of these things stopped you yeah. um, from this process so of becoming so seriously kudos to that I didn't know you work with kids um for English teaching yeah. so from a very young age hanging out with so many kids as a woman how's how does that um contribute to who you are today because I I feel like I don't have enough access to children yeah. and I want to it was a it was a cool experience I think it made me it was the first time I could maybe feel this feeling of, oh, I, I do want to be a mother someday. Um, you know, I grew up with a mother and had, I had felt like, you know, I'd like to have 
a marriage. I'd like to have kids, but it wasn't, I was a bit different than a lot of my friends around here. I wasn't necessarily, you know, planning or guaranteeing it. And I, I think I just lacked the experience or in, in closeness with children to actually feel like it was something tangible for me. Um, and I, yeah, I would say key thing about that time, I learned way more than the kids learned. And I learned a lot about myself. I think as we grow up, you know, at least my journey, you know, I had a, I was a wild child growing up and then got into high school and I wanted to really grow up and be an adult and be very mature. And I, that's when I started to become less of myself. And I think that's also when I started to be really, really shy and insecure. And through, you know, I had to go through this process of unlearning. So I was moved into, I was in a different country. I'm in this different environment and I'm working with children and I'm in a way activating my inner child. And I start getting in touch with who I am as a child through working with these kids. And I feel like it was this key, everything aligned. It was exactly what I needed at the time. I needed to relearn who I really was on the inside before I was trying to grow up and, and be an adult and be cool. And the kids taught me that. I'm a big fan of Carl Jung. Uh, he speaks about the inner child a lot. And it was a perfect experience. And it, it also helped me get back in touch with like that adventurous child that I used to be. We go through life with different scenarios and different choices, right? And sometimes we like something in concept. Mm-hmm. Or vice versa, where sometimes we don't like something concept, but we're, if, if we're actually in that situation to experience ourselves, then we can get very, very different ideas from what we think it is in concept. Yeah. So I think parenting and being with children is one of the things that I have some ideas conceptually, but to actually hang out with them and to have a conversation with them and can directly connect with them is a very different thing. Yeah. And I was hanging out with a big winner's kids. After some, some time together, I was asking the seven year old, um, so how would you, so how would you describe me? So if you think, um, cause I was curious how kids would see me. Um, so she said, she said she thinks I'm a good mom. I'm a good friend. And I'm a good babysitter, That's and I was so in I was in absolute awe because I didn't expect that. Because from a kid's perspective, they instead of giving you like dis- descriptive words, they're they're describing the vibe that they're feeling from yeah. you, and they're communicating their feelings through whatever they come up with. So I was in in awe, seriously. So I'm starting to kind of want to hang out with children more. And I think as a young woman in your early 20s, have the opportunity to hang out with group of group of kids and, <laughs> and understand how they function and have that internal internalization process to compare, you know, uh, to, to understand yourself as a kid through them. So that must be a, a really great experience. And I'm sure you're not the only person who went through the, the transition of from a shy person becoming someone who's extremely people-worst. Um, what advice would you give to people who are looking to go through a similar transformation in their lives? Prioritize connecting with others, so people that you, know, you think you can learn from. And I think something we didn't mention, but we've kind of um, alluded to, is like solo travel. I know you're a traveler. Uh, would love to hear your experience, but I feel like taking my first trip by myself when I was in my early 20s was a huge deal, and it allowed me to, again, get out of the comfort zone and meet people and make amazing memories, uh, you know, in kind of a backpacking environment, doing that kind of thing was really great for my character, and I would advise people to yeah go out on a limb take a, a risk a safe risk like do some research where you're traveling to but that can also be a, a great way to kick start this kind of journey and it will help you again get out of the box that you might know yourself in and allow you some more freedom oftentimes we forget how resilient we are as humans and if you're literally in a situation where if you mess up 
or if you get in trouble, nobody's here to save you. It's not necessarily fake it till you make it mentality, but if you're in that situation and you have to play that role, oftentimes, oftentimes people rise up to the to the situation. You just have to be daring enough to put yourself in that situation in the first place, I guess, and then the rest will just naturally follow. And talking about mindset, and there's so many things that sometimes you periodically send out that. Um, it's it's short, it's brief, but it can be very profound. So I wanted to gauge your thinking on some of these um, notes that you made that I found super interesting. And we talked about the power of framing. So the framing effect in psychology basically refers to the bias where people react differently to a particular decision, depending on how it's presented or or framed, right? Uh, and emphasizing either both of the positive gains or the negative loss aspect. And the same information when framed differently can totally alter people's responses um, and the reactions to the same situation. You have thoughts that directly speaks to how you frame the world and use the frame to guide your actions. So let's dive into some of these. Um, you shared once that dreams are for today, not tomorrow. Um, what do you mean by by this? I love talking about this kind of stuff. So, yeah, I think it, some of these things I put out and I make a tweet, but it's also a mantra for myself. So it's like by writing it out, I'm affirming it as the mindset I want to have. And all of these things ebb and flow, right? You know, some days we wake up and we're we're feeling a bit down and that's when we need to, you know, put in the effort to the mantras more. So don't remember exactly what I was feeling that day, but uh, yeah, I think that we should keep the dreams alive. And even as we grow older, we need to be prioritizing our dreams first. And then second is, okay, let's activate the dream. So dreams are for us to achieve, to, to live in. I am someone who's guilty of saying like, Oh yeah, I'll do that someday. And there's a lot of ideas and projects I have that I'd like to do. And I often push them off to tomorrow. So I would like to get better at that. And I think in some ways, in some things I have, but there's always more. And that's why I'm really inspired by the entrepreneurial journey. I'm really inspired by founders. I that's why I love my work so much because I'm working with a lot of these great people who are you know, living their dreams or trying to make their dreams happen today and not waiting until tomorrow. It's very inspiring. Uh, it's a grind, a lot of hard days in that journey, but uh, ultimately they're persevering and making it happen. So we should all try to do that more. You just reminded me the power of today because we talk about potential sometimes, we talk about ideas sometimes, um, but if we bring them in the context of today, that instantly becomes very urgent, very powerful. Um, I had Irene Crawford, that's a Bitcoin, that's a Bitcoin on the show um, a while ago. And she had this mantra saying that today is a good day to die. So when you bring that today into the narrative, then the, the, it really starts to change your perspective of how you approach each individual day. Um, and I, every day it's, it's essentially a new opportunity and it's depend on us, how we, how we see it. If we really want something, I guess we can always find a way to move towards it, even just a little bit on a, on a daily basis. It just have to get started and guess be consistent and patient and have that resilience. Yeah. And that the other thought you have, kind of along this line is that your life is your experiment. What does it mean to view life as an experiment? And how do you even approach life if it is an experiment? Yeah, I'm glad you brought that one up because I forgot about it. And I think it, it's very relevant for all the things we've been talking about. But I view life as an experiment, right? Each individual, we're an individual Petri dish, each of our lives. And, you know, the different things we add into it, the different shape our life will take. Uh, so what I mean by life being an experiment is, you know, incur I would encourage people to go out and talk to that person. It's just an experiment. You'll see the result. Go to that event. It's just an experiment. Go move to a different country. If you know, you're feeling like you're in a rut and you have the freedom to, and you've always dreamed to, 
it's an experiment. And I think um, that's a philosophy I learned really early on in my life and just started to, to play with quite literally, like life is, is also play and you're just observing the results and adapting as you go. And I think that is a great philosophy to also bring into the business world. So I, I think learning that experience younger than bringing that into a startup career, it was really great and a, a key philosophy philosophy of mine when I'm working. Uh, there's, you know, everything's an experiment in a startup. You do A-B testing. There's really no finish line either. We're always moving the goalpost. We're always, you know, ticking boxes and on to the next goal. So, you know, there's no failure, right? You try something and it doesn't work, but there's 10 other things that now you need to try after you've learned. And I, I love that philosophy. I've, you know, always led my team with that philosophy so that we're never feeling like there's anything wrong with anything we've done. We've only ticked a box that like, okay, now we know that that doesn't work. Let's go test mm -hmm. other stuff and have fun with it. A great aspect of this very statement your life is an experiment because is that it takes out the fear for failure mm -hmm. um yeah because we are pro if we approach a science experiment or just an experiment in general we kind of approach it knowing that it can either succeed or or fail and we're, we're okay for both of that so that's why we're doing it in the first place it's because we want to find out and yeah. oftentimes we give ourselves where we receive a lot of external pressure from external environment that's so that we have this mentality where if we move into something that there's no option to fail and that creates a lot of pressure that creates the the a lot of um procrastination because it awakes it wakes up that perfectionist that's in us if there's no room for error and then the other side that's really well said is the fact that it's really never ending like it's it's a never ending pursuit and how can you and if you end on a note of failure sure like it's it's you can call it a failed experiment but at the same time if you literally just never stop and you have this mindset of i'm not gonna stop until i succeed but when i succeed why would i stop yeah there's always then, a new goal to set right then then you you can't lose yeah you can't lose like I am, I am my own kind of brainwash artist in that regards yeah. too. Is that <laughs> I'm very, like I'm very subjective in the sense that I choose my way to approach reality and I yes. frame reality in a way that, yeah. me. and it, it doesn't always work. And I, I would like to eventually get there, but sometimes I would like to frame things in a way where I cannot lose. Yeah, absolutely. Either, either I succeed or I learn. Yeah. Which goals wins. I love um, that you brought up the brainwashing. And I feel like that's what I do too. I, I live in this alternate reality. It's my reality. You have your reality. And what my reality is, is, is quite different. And I think because I grew up a huge perfectionist and that didn't work out very well for me, for my emotions and well-being, uh, just it's so liberating to live in a reality where failure doesn't exist. It's just a yeah. result. It's just information. You know what? Maybe this is why we are uh, vibed because we live in the we live yeah, in the same reality. Yeah. <laughs> and besides the besides the aspect of framing and viewing life as an experiment, what are some of the other principles or key frames that you've adapted over the years to to guide you in life? Or um, is there any frames that you personally use that you know is not really true? It's only in your head um, that's on the negative side, but you can't shake it off just yet. And you're kind of working through them. Uh, working in Bitcoin, I, I don't have that much of the negative stuff coming through. I think that was my final frustration, right? You can adapt your reality as much as you can, but then there are powers that exist in this world that have a lot of influence over your life. And then through discovering Bitcoin, uh, was able to feel like, you know, there's some there's some hope here that that can change. Uh, but generally, I would say some other key things uh, for me would be staying positive. So um, I talked, I know you saw uh, the talk with Valerie, but we talked a lot about that uh, yesterday. Uh, keeping the positive mindset is really important. And it happens to all of us. We can get negative. But I, I really have seen in my experience that if you're not 
talking positively to yourself, if you're not talking positively about your life, the positivity is not going to come your way. Uh, so yeah, that's crucial. And then one would be like to believe in magic. I think that, you know, you, you do literally live in any reality you choose my reality magic happens and it happens all around. It happens all the time. And I notice it and I see it happening and it's through connecting with other people and uh, opportunities coming your way. And I think that the positivity is key to letting that magic into your life. Uh, you bring out that energy instead of you and people recognize that and people gravitate towards that. And I oftentimes think it's a better approach to attract instead of to desire. Because when you're attracting, you're focusing on your, you're focusing on yourself. You're attracting through the radiation of your own energy, like a magnet, instead of desiring and wanting. So that's a mindset of not enough. I guess in a way, just to remind myself to be patient as well, because it's it takes time for people to discover certain things. It takes time for people to gravitate towards certain energy, um, and everybody's busy and. They, they need to, the stars have to align for yeah. things to happen, I guess, on a cosmic yeah. level. That's what yeah. I believe in as well. Um, but I have a lot of trust and gratitude in the process. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just, you know, I just continue to do my best um, that I can justify for without burning myself out. Yeah. And keep the positive vibe, keep the positive energy and just focus on attracting instead of desiring um, and Hopefully that works, but in in our reality, I guess there's no there's no other option. It has to it has to work. Right? Yeah, it works, <laughs> and I believe in you. I love all that you've just said. Um, yeah, you patience is really key, and that's a hard one to learn, but it pays off. And that's the low time preference mindset for us. I think, yeah, it's it'll all work out. It's working. And I think what patience patience go hand in hand with that conviction because if you think if you think about it if you don't have the conviction if you don't have a deep faith of the path you're going on then it's very hard to be patient because you're in doubt yeah. um very hard to be patient when in doubt and this is what we where we see in bitcoin as well all the people who are in it for the money or the people who are in it to get rich and they back off the the fast fat fastest in a bear market and we just came out from a bear market and it is all these Bitcoiners who have adopted the Bitcoin ethos and who are fully convicted and recognize how, how this can change all of our lives. Those are the people who, who sticked out, um, who sticked around, um, thick and thin, ring or shy because they have that conviction. So in this context where we talk about personal development, and choose your own path. It's absolutely important to have that conviction and deep faith and confidence in ourselves. Understand that what this is what we want and we're willing to work for it. And then be patient with the consistent efforts. And that's really the the combo of, of that formula, I guess. And as the recruiter in the Bitcoin space, and you have a great, you have a lot, lots of great experience growing team, um, big or small in startup settings or bigger. So what are some of the most repeated mistakes in recruiting in general, both from employer's side and from a job seeker's perspective? Yeah, I think, so I've always really prioritized culture um, in hiring. And I think that's a good way to avoid mistakes. Um, But I was, I guess I was privy to hiring done before I was in the picture. was I would say there's two key hires made right before I started recruiting in the startup and they weren't really a culture fit. And uh, I think when you prioritize, for example, like let's say someone's a high performer, but maybe they are disruptive in meetings. Maybe they have a big ego. Maybe they um, have yeah conflict quite literally with founders or with um, other teammates then we have a hiring mistake. I think the biggest mistake you can make is just avoiding letting go of someone that you know you need to let go. Um, Big mistake is avoiding these hard conversations and you need to have them. I think the most successful founders are ones that they are quick to have the uncomfortable conversations and they get it done right away. 
And if you're not ready for that, then yeah, you, you need to push yourself on that one. Um, other hiring mistakes, I would say failures that I've made. I know, yeah, I'm thinking of, I don't want to be too specific. No one's in the Bitcoin industry, but, um, back in the day hired people that were like really senior and there's points in your startup where you do need to bring in senior talent, but I would say it's a lot riskier to bring in a senior person. Uh, sometimes it's a challenge because they might have, you know, a very high level title that the organization's not used to. You know, you can try to mitigate that, change their title or lower it coming in. That usually means the person feels a bit stifled um, and there can be conflict uh, with that. So I would describe that as one. And yeah, I think the, uh, I guess it comes down to how an organization is set up too. So maybe there's a hiring failure in marketing, but it's in fact because the CEO has hired an expert and they're not willing to let go of the reins. So I think in any time you have a hiring failure, it's always, always important to sit down with your team or like your leadership team, your other founder, or if you have an HR person, you sit down with them and say, okay, what could we have done differently this time? Uh, there's a lot of learning lessons for every situation, even if the, the departure is very peaceful and it's mutual. Uh, there's always something to learn specific to that situation and what you could have done differently. Now you've hired in Bitcoin and in other industries too. So are there any things special that recruiters look at in Bitcoin that are not typically look at in more traditional industries? Yeah, I would say it depends on the client, but I have some clients that of course prioritize Bitcoin culture more. And then now, you know, Bitcoin culture is expanding and there's micro cultures within Bitcoin. So we have like a maxi culture and maybe a little more open, open-minded. I could say like if people are interested in ordinals and other things you can do on Bitcoin that the maxis don't like, um, I'm neutral. In your personal approach, like when you hire for the clients that you work with in Bitcoin, what are some of the important qualities that you look for regardless of the culture? Yeah, regardless, I look for someone who's a quick learner and who's, oh, I, I'm always looking for open-minded people. I think that's key in a startup. You literally could get something assigned or have a project and you spend resources and time on it. And then like two days later, it's like, oh, sorry, we've changed our mind and we have to go a different direction. And you cannot have an emotional reaction to that. You just have to be like, okay, uh, yes, team, let's go to the next thing and move forward. Uh, so that's key. Um, and I would say in my experience of working in startups, I, it's easy to spot um, those kind of people aren't a fit for the long term because if you're if you're upset or frustrated that things changed, you're going to be frustrated the whole time. It's not going to be fun for anyone. So I look for people who are willing to adapt. Um, and then I think what's very crucial and what I test on is um, kind of competence and aptitude over experience. So what I do in interviews is I like to have like real life challenges and it be a practical situation that's sometimes even occurred in the startup you're working for. And you ask, you have a whole interview where you're just asking like, what would you do if you're in this situation? And this I think is really where people can shine in an interview because if you have the right experience and you know how to tackle these challenges, you're going to have great answers and you're going to be able to teach the person interviewing you new things. Uh, if you, if you, you know, have kind of not uh, been a key stakeholder in those challenges and uh, situations they're asking about, that will be found out in that type of interview question. I hired numerous roles for my clients and for my own team too. And sometimes, and this is one of the struggles that I hear from other founders in the space, is that they are struggling with the discrepancy between the interviews and the performance. And sometimes people can come into the interview and really provide that wow factor in the interview. And then when they actually start doing the job, then it's the, the performance is subpar or it's not as wow as it could be um, just from impression 
first perspective, and sometimes it's vice versa. These people who do great work and who eventually can perform and outperform, they don't. Some some of them don't do well in interviews, and this is the struggle with a lot of job seekers too, because they believe they can do the job, but they they get too nervous, or for whatever reason, they don't get to perform or sh- really have the quality shine through. Is there any ways to distinguish and see through from the brief conversations you have with a candidate? I really try to prioritize having an interview that is fit for all types of people, and especially like. Um, a neuroatypical people, uh, people who aren't neurotypical. And that means like creating a very comfortable environment. The first call is really a get to know you chat and it's you're divulging information about yourself and being vulnerable. And then it becomes a two way street. And then that's why that uh, challenge interview is really good because it's not like, Hey, tell me about a time where you solved a problem. That's going to make people clamp up and get nervous. I've I've historically despised interviews and get so nervous and I draw a blank, but I'm one of those people who, who performs really well and uh, has done so in, in my career when I have the job. But interviews always, you know, caused me to feel like I was a deer in headlights. So asking people the types of questions where it's an, a practical situation. So let's say we just made a hire and we uh, did the uh, reference checks, okay? Everything's good, we send the offer. Then one of the people from the reference checks calls back and says, I'm sorry, I didn't tell you something and you know this actually happened and I feel like I had to let you know. What do you do in that situation? How do you manage crisis control? Uh, Another one would be like for a tech girl, hey, hey, we just got hacked and uh, we have to deal with this problem. What are the steps you're gonna take? And so, the person who's experienced those things is going to dive right into action because they've they've been through it and they know how to solve it. Uh, the people who, ha- I think that's where it really distinguishes the people who haven't yet experienced that aren't going to be able to give you a good answer. So that's one way. Um, other ways to figure out if someone's a good performer, well, you have to do a recruitment challenge. You cannot hire someone without seeing their work, but it's also, it's a careful line to toe because it's, you need to not have the recruitment challenge be, you know, working, doing a work project that you're going to publish and use as a company that's illegal, but you need to be able to test their skills. So, um, depending for technical roles for developers, it's a little bit easier. Uh, there's a lot of assessment tests. There's different aptitude tests that you can do live coding, uh, assessments with. Uh, And then for others, it's usually a take-home challenge that's kind of akin to a situation that they would have in the job. And yeah, that's that's a great way to make sure you don't hire someone who's not going to produce work that you like. And with that, when you do that, when you get the result back, when whatever their presentation or the project or the spreadsheet that they've been working on, it's paramount to also give them feedback and have them do another edit Uh, No matter how great it is, you always want to go through this process because then you get to test how receptive they are to your feedback. You get to see uh, how they receive feedback, if they make changes, if they understood you. And I I feel like that's pretty foolproof um, in my career. And, you know, these are all methods that I've learned after years of working internally at startups and seeing what has proven to yield really good results where you have a high retention rate of your teammates. This is uh, me writing a note, writing notes in my little notebook as a Bitcoin founder myself. So thanks for the hot tip. We talked about confidence and you said being a quick learner and be confident is actually in a way more important than the, than the experience. And uh, I, I agree to that. And important uh, confidence is so important as long as you don't overdo it. And either it's in a job seeking or situation or forming relationship with and personal connections with others, where do you draw the line between being confident and being arrogant? I think it's a vibe. Um, it can be, I don't know. I have a good read on people. So I'm thinking maybe it's a bit intuition um, where you see that uh, it's just obvious, but I think that what I would do if I, if it was questionable and that's happened before, like, you know, you're at the end of the process and you and your COO are like, did we sense arrogance or, you know, we can't tell. And, you know, I will say from experience, if you're having the discussion about it, 
you know, try to find someone else probably. But um, to test it, you know, what you would do is probably try to dive into their experiences with other teammates and, you know, have another call and describe, you know, oh, who else did you work with on that project? And, you know, really deep dive into a bunch of scenarios and always be asking the question, like, what did you do versus the others? And a good leader is going to be celebrating the others the whole time. And a bad leader is going to be like, you know, dismissive about the others and like, oh, well, I did all the the work. So I try to test like how they're working with other people. Um, And that feedback exercise would be a really good one to test ego because if let's say they do the perfect presentation, you say, well, actually, you know, we'd like to do you know, this type of design instead, it's not really right. Um, or whatever feedback you should give appropriate feedback. Uh, and if they have an ego, they're going to have a rebuttal against your feedback. Uh, if they are low ego, they're going to just, you know, get it done how you've asked and be really thankful and receptive and polite about the experience. How does a job seeker cultivate confidence to their advantage if they don't currently feel confident enough? I would say to work on your story, right? We've lived such complex lives and it's hard when you're in an interview, you might have five minutes to tell your story, maybe even less. It really depends on the question. So I would you know, take time to really map out your narrative and the amazing story that you've been on, the journey you've been on, uh, the amazing story that entails. And I think that will give you confidence as an exercise. Um, It's something that I would encourage like any recruiter that was working for me to do so they would have their story and feel really confident in the conversation. And it's a good way, like if, for example, you have a dream job at a certain company and they have a particular set of values uh, that really inspires you and resonates with you, you can use that kind of as a lens to guide the narrative that you're telling about your career and uh, pick on the same threads that they are valuing. And I think, yeah, you'll feel quite confident uh, when you construct this narrative of your life and all the amazing things you've done. It can be good to revisit yourself and not just um, try to go into an interview unprepared. I'd advise that for everyone. Given your insights into the Bitcoin industry, how would you describe the current recruiting landscape in Bitcoin? What do you foresee happening in the next 12 months? Now the market's been picking up. In my experience from my own data set, uh, we have more sales roles, more marketing roles, uh, business development, uh, those kind of things. So that's a big change. And I suspect it to change a lot as uh, you know we get into this year. Uh, I would say another thing that's changed a lot since I've started out in the Bitcoin space is it's becoming increasingly competitive to get a Bitcoin job. We have a lot of uh, candidates out there, a lot of people out there wanting a Bitcoin job, and there's few roles. And that there will be more roles, but there's also more talent coming into the space. So it's getting increasingly competitive. I'm getting a little bit anxious just for listening to all the competition coming in because I, when I first started, like I'm not even that old in the space. I've been working in the space for three years. And when I first started hiring for the team, it was almost impossible to have the candidates hit all of the checkboxes and be a big winner. It was almost impossible at the time. Um, but now the job applications you get, they're, they're, they're all Bitcoiners. And at one point, being a Bitcoiner, coming to the Bitcoin space, working for Bitcoin, it's a, it's, it's a minority thing because not there are only so few Bitcoiners. And now it, the, the paradigm is definitely shifting for sure. And speaking of which, you're someone who's kind of, taken an unconventional career career path. So you didn't choose to work in a company and just see what happens with that company and then have some regular kind of job hopping. And you really was, you really were everywhere. You were, you were in Bar- Barcelona, you were in Paris and you were in Santa Barbara. And now you've moved back to where you're, you're com- coming from and you've moved around a lot. And then you've worked in different places, in different roles, discovered yourself and, 
have this seemingly sporadic effort, but really set yourself up to the path you're supposed to be on. What was some of the things that guided you to even go through this route and give you enough conviction that this is going to work? And what are some of the things that you catch yourself doing? And in your today's self, thoughts it really helped you in the process. It would be just prioritizing getting to know yourself and uh, upskilling. So both both of those things come with putting yourself in new environments. Uh, if you're younger and, and listening to this, definitely take advantage of your, you know, your 20s and try new things. Uh, I would say, I, yeah, by 24, I was working in a startup in a people role and uh, I took a lot of chances before then to discover that path. Um, I would also say prioritize things that feel right. So the startup I joined was one that, you know, I really love the people. And uh, what was already kind of the uh, inklings of a company culture uh, that early on. So that just felt right. And by being around amazing people, it motivated me to work really hard and to do go above and beyond for my teammates. So that's crucial. You want to select a job opportunity that's going to surround you with people you can learn from, people who inspire you and encourage you to be your best self. Uh, so yeah, that that would probably sum it up as the key things. How do we stay close to your work? I'm on Twitter uh, at Martel Fox, M-A-R-T-E-L-L-F-O-X. Uh, I think on uh, Noster, I am just Fox at Fox. Uh, find my pub key somewhere in Twitter, I guess. The website is layer4talent.com. I'm also on LinkedIn. Would love if you get in touch, uh, reach out. And uh, if you're interested in a Bitcoin job, we do have a talent pool form on the Layer 4 website. All right. Thank you so much, Martel, for joining me today. I've had such a great time. It's great to dive into some of your philosophies and uh, recognizing the fact that we're kind of in the same frequency with our little living in our little cloud of Bolivian magic, right? It's, it's good to know that it's not the only one. Yeah, I love that. And so nice to hear uh, your side of the story too. And I look forward to seeing you soon. Stay positive and believe in your dreams. Um, well, thank you so much, Martel, for joining me. And this is another episode of Live with Bitcoin. I'm your host, Vivian Chang. We'll see you in another episode.